0: Okay, um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to the London School of Economics uh, this evening. My name is Dr. Eric Eister, and I'm a reader in the economics department and academic director of the summer school. And it's my great pleasure this evening to introduce you to Michael Heyman and uh, Nick Giles. Um, they are going to be present. They are the authors of uh, Mission, How to Best in Business uh, Breakthrough, and they're going to be presenting it to us uh, this evening. Um, So in this evening's lecture, Michael will begin by describing the book, um, after which the floor will be opened uh, to you for questions. Um, In addition to being authors of this book, they are the co-founder of the highly acclaimed campaign firm, Seven Hills, um, which has been advising some of Brittany's most explosive uh, growth companies and exciting entrepreneurs, and it was recently named as the best corporate consultancy in the world by the Holmes Report. Michael, I should mention, is also uh, an alumnus of the London School of Economics, so it's a particular pleasure for us to welcome him back uh, this evening. Um, For those Twitter users in the audience, the hashtag for tonight's event is LSE Business, I'd like to ask all of you please to switch your mobile telephones to silent mode in order not to uh, disrupt this evening's proceedings. Um, And I should mention that this is being recorded. Barring any technical difficulties, there will be a podcast of this evening's event on uh, the LC website. Um, After the presentation and question and answer session ends, there will be a book signing here on stage where Michael and Nick will be signing copies of their book which you can purchase outside of the venue. So without any further ado I'd like to uh, welcome my homin. Uh, Thank you very much Eric.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, well, good evening everybody and um, I must say it's I said it, it's great to be back. I mean um, I left here in uh, in 1993 um, sort of uh, Harry Potter look-alike with rather big hair. Um, I never thought I'd be back here, actually. I thought I'd just got away with it, because I was taking an LSE degree. I thought, that's great. But uh, here I am, over 20 years later, and um, it's uh, absolutely wonderful to um, be able to come back and and, um, share something at a school that gave me so much. So thank you very much for having us um, here this evening. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit um, about um, a book we've just written, Mission, how um, the best-in-business breakthrough, but from the context of business as a force for good, business as a force for change um, in society, and um, I mean, I might ask you a good question about how many of you actually agree with that statement momentarily, but I thought I'd just like to sort of maybe just give you a sense of being, just warm as up just for one second. And anybody, um, anybody here watch golf? Anybody, um, anybody, any, any golf fans? Anybody ever watch golf on the television? And anybody yeah, there we go. We've all watched a little bit of it, even up there in the cheap seats. So you've, you've, got, you've got a few of them. Right, okay. Anybody know how a golf club goes? Let's all practice it. Just just practice it. Well, how does golf club go when you see it on TV? Go golf go, it. Right. It's about the lowest form of emotional engagement you can have. And as a presenter, I can tell you, so, so let's start with a, well, the golf club. Okay, I'm just humor me And if to go up one, it's sort of like, you know, give us a bit of like,
2: like give us a full arms, right?
1: That's what we're looking for at the end, Eric. In terms of, <laughs> if we get a golf plaque, it really was the worst ever event you have been to. But we're hoping that in this public lecture, we can we can share something. Now, we spent the last year interviewing some of the most amazing business leaders, um, breakthrough business leaders. Some of them new, some of them are little more than a thousand days old in the companies that um, that they founded. Businesses like Airbnb and Uber, um, but also businesses that have been around an awful long time. Um, apple virgin and and whole foods and to get um to get started what i wanted to do was to share with you um, a short film that we made with john Mackey, who is the um, founder of whole foods and of course he founded whole foods um right the way back in in 1980 and um in many respects we feel that um He's a great emblem of the sort of businesses that we interviewed um, for this book. So it's a sort of three or four minute video, but I think it really does um, uh, sort of set the, set the tone. So I think we're going to do it a right and um, I'll, I'll show you this now. We spent the last year looking at the businesses that are making it today. We interviewed leaders from around the world on the relationship between profit and purpose, Conscious capitalism, liberating the heroic experience of business. It's a clarion cry to entrepreneurs to make a difference. Its author is the millionaire founder of Whole Foods, John Mackey. With a worldwide empire, the healthy living supermarket was founded on the principle that you can be a commercial success without selling your soul.
2: Today, Whole Foods is a beacon. For the best <laughs> in business. are funding very brave individuals. They have a sense of higher purpose. They're not in it primarily to make money. That's a secondary concern. Comes,
1: they're, they're fulfilling their dreams and their passions. We talked about entrepreneurs as the big creative. We talked a lot about mission. Um, in the book, if you accept the same, what these guys should be thinking about, taking this
2: movement to the next stage. What's the next step? Mm-hmm. any questions. The next step is to, is to create conscious businesses. And nothing like that. Uh, you build more conscious businesses. What went up happening is the idea to spread and uh consciousness to grow and the paradigm of business will shift. It'll take a it'll take a generation, but in 20 years the world will be a very different place. There is a man, there the is real sense. sense of almost angry, some of the pieces you need back uh, to thinking, not really uh I just If you are know, yeah, you're too simplistic, you've got, you know, the ideas that sound like real life shooting. Does it I do that. Or was well, it actually give that kind of prepositive that you're bringing through that you've got this kind of prison? We, we wrote the book for the millennials. We wrote it for the younger entrepreneurs. They're the ones that have created conscious businesses to change, to change the world. So why don't I care about some journalists and some people I don't care? The last thing I wrote was that when you forced a guy John, would you please give up this grocery store business and- promise me will go back to school and promise you My mother definitely wanted me to be a lawyer about life is very short. It's really so short you're, 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 everybody will realize this then, you know, It just goes by very really rapidly. and it's too short to do anything less than
1: following our it's just well, why, why do you settle for anything less than that? The next morning I met him again with John Mackey this time in his Whole Foods Global H.D. I'd like to get right back to the start, to the 25-year-old John Mackie that set this up. I mean, give us a sense of what was going through your mind when you started to doors of the first store. It's kind of my own
2: business so, Right. We created something. It was ours, and uh, we loved it. But there were some dramatic chapters. He tells us about the flood, for example. It was a catastrophe. We were in a heap of water. Renee actually closed the of and she swam out the storm for all these people helping us clean up the store, I kind of vaguely recognized. But who were
1: they?
2: Well, friends and They yeah, were, we're the customers and they were neighbors that uh, had heard about back after- in Whole Foods and they came in to the Linda hand. And when I later on encountered term stakeholders, and all stakeholders now in business, I mean, I recognized right away that was true. This, I guess, the be the unseen in Scottish capitalism and the idea so, the third of the dip? Absolutely. We have we higher have purpose, we have core values, we have a mission, and we're, we are have the courage to live by that mission and make our choices at times, and, and we're committed to doing right by our customers and doing right by all of our stakeholders. So, I do think people, if, if you do business with integrity, it takes a while, but people come to see the have integrity, and we tend to trust people or organizations that we judge are trustworthy. But I'm to do what they say, try
1: to be honest, don't try to take advantage of them. How does it feel sitting at the top of that organization today? Do you still recognize everything that you wanted in the business, or are some things you're so good you still feel you've got to do? I kind of feel like growing
2: Right. right. The major healthcare crisis in the United States but now increasing all over the world. Uh, Americans are 69% of the way, at least, 70% obese. it's not the government that's going to solve these problems. It is through our creativity. Solve our problems. So, if you think of entrepreneurs, not just in terms of business entrepreneurs, but we need entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs. The way I see it is is that if, there's a way to make money at it, business is the right way to approach it. Business, entrepreneur, competition, the marketplace, uh, essentially capitalism, is the best way to approach many of the challenges we have. Go back. Thanks, Frank. Okay.
1: Mission makes the case for a new and optimistic era for business. That business can and should be a force for good. The purpose of entrepreneurs are drive to succeed, creating a shared belief that unites teams, stakeholders and customers alike. You can find out more in our book, Mission, How the Best in Business, Breakthrough. But you don't have to wait to find out more because I'm going to tell you all about it because tonight we are book tarts, and there is a, in fact the booksellers are outside so if you like what you hear, uh, Mission is going to be available in the, uh, in the reception. But let me give you a sense of what this is all about. John Mackey um, is one of the great entrepreneurs um, globally in the States. has built a hugely successful Fortune 500 business. Um, it's a business that has a um, huge sort of uh, global reach in terms of its stores, in terms of tens of thousands of employees and yet it's run on values. He believes very much in this idea of liberating the heroic spirit of business, that there should be something heroic um, in business, that actually the role and the arrival of the entrepreneur as an important part of the social fabric um, of countries and of societies is actually part of how some of society's great problems are going to be solved. And of course this all comes at a time where the trust in business, generically, has collapsed in the public. And I think one of the things that we started off with was a basic contention was that even though trust was collapsing, that wasn't the same as saying we don't want to believe. That actually belief is really important. And that we wanted to look at those brands where they were doing something that was heroic. There was something in the spirit, something in the DNA about those businesses that made them special. Because actually, what we do know is that businesses are increasingly important in all of our lives, as employers, as change makers, and this presentation is really about why that is the case, and indeed some of the learnings that we found in terms of meeting some of these people. The reason why business must be a force for good in society is a simple one. 37 of the world's top 100 economies are corporations. So think of that in terms of the importance of business to the world in which we live. The idea that actually we can knowingly sit here and think of business as a force for being bad um, is probably unacceptable when you think about how important companies are to all of us. At the same time, there is this sort of amazing era of change um, that's going on in the world in which we live. Only 30 of the original FTSE 100 companies made it to the 30th anniversary in 2014. Think of that that 30 years ago, all those companies... That were, I mean, many, many companies that I grew up with here in 1993... This, this I think, actually was, um, was a bank or an insurance society, this building, in the time. Those were seen as the states of permanence. They were seen as the sort of the permanent faces of business. But actually, only 30 of them in terms of that original FTSE 100 made it to the 30th anniversary. They were either consumed, either gone bust. But actually, this world of change is something that is speeding up. Um, and more of that in a moment. And here's the statement, I think, is the thing that makes me most hopeful about business as being a force for good, which is that the most powerful companies of our lifetime, the companies that we will remember, are probably not even created yet. They're probably walking around in people's heads. They're going to be the Facebooks, the Googles of the next generation. And for those that think that change is in some way slowing down and that it's happening, the argument of the book is that it's only just beginning, and it's consequences for our lives... It's profound and it's pervasive. 40% of US GDP is dependent on companies that didn't exist 15 years ago. The rise of young, hopeful businesses, businesses that want to make a change, is part of the story of this generation. It's part of the story of change in terms of the world in which we live, is that younger companies are making a huge difference to the economies and to the countries in which they're based. And of course this is why mission matters. So we observed that within this sort of generation of businesses was that there was a formula that we felt was important in terms of why they were successful. Businesses with mission, businesses with purpose, businesses where actually the people that work there get out of bed in the morning and want to do something tend to be the ones that we like. They tend to be the ones that we believe in. Now, just having a goal of changing the world is probably not enough. You have to, you have to get out there and you have to campaign with it. Because if you campaign with it, you get a golden gift in business terms, and that's momentum. So the actual sort of observation we have is that if you have mission and you campaign with it, you get momentum. And this was, if you boiled it right down, the sort of the learnings of those 35 businesses that we met. And the reason why that's important is this, is if you go back just 2005, you see a world that looks something like this. Um, AOL, the giants of its time. Actually, you could add to that BlackBerry, you could add to that Nokia, you could add to that... Names that were, you know, synonymous with success of the day. Companies called Black, Blockbuster, which is, for those of us of a certain age you can't forget, Blockbuster Video. Oh, what a difference. I remember it. Facebook, who are they? Raised a sort of relatively inconsequential sum of money, although obviously nice to get $12.7 million of capital if you can get it. YouTube, um, founded Uber. Who are they? Three years away. We don't even know who they are. Fast forward that today, Titans reduced to minnows. Um, AOL acquired for a fraction of its former valuation. Blockbuster, defunct. I can now say with a sorrow in my heart that the last sort of uh, Blockbuster store on Putney High Street has now been redeveloped. Near That, far, that enduring symbol of, of sort of, if you like, corporate failure, has now been, um, now been turned into a hairdresser. Um, but of course, in its time, when it had the opportunity to buy Netflix, which by the way it did, because they thought it would be the postal service, um, for, uh, for the way that we would get um, DVDs, is that they had the chance to innovate. They had the chance to change. Anything is, they didn't take it. Of course, YouTube and Uber are the success stories that they have become. And of course, even now, we think that some of these figures look a little bit dated because it's almost impossible um, to value them because they're worth a lot of money. I don't know if you can think of what $50 billion looks like, but it is a lot, and it probably would fill this room if we did it in $1 denominations. And of course... There is a new establishment that has changed the world in which we live. Who would have thought, you know, in, in just a couple of years ago, even a year ago, that actually Nobel Peace Prize witness, actually laureates would be writing for an online publication that would have more than the combined readership of the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal in terms of its online presence. 150 million monthly unique visitors to BuzzFeed. This is about the creation of new orders, but not only new orders that are being created in terms of the evolution of business, they're being done quickly. They're being done in days, not years. Now, this is my dog. Um, And and, and it's not a gratuitous arrival. My dog's called Dora. She's a very lovely Welsh terrier. Um, And you may wonder, what am I going to say to that? Well, I wanted to introduce her at my old university. But I also wanted to say this, is that in the book we talk about the arrival of dog years. And what it means is this, is that what we're observing in terms of the business cycle is that seven... Every new year, as with seven old years, is that we are living in the era of dog years. Dog years matter in terms of their ability to accelerate change. This is what the feedback was of the entrepreneurs that we met in terms of just how quickly the pace of change is affecting their businesses. So when you think about the solid, we had this chat in the green room before we came in. Before you solidify your views about Uber, before you solidify your views about the business model, think about this. A thousand days ago, this is a business that had hardly been formed. Actually, that pace of change is absolutely monumental in terms of the effect that it's having on our societies. And this, of course, is the world of explosive growth. Now, we, we wrote the book for the 760,000 new businesses that were created in the UK in the last Parliament. 2010 to 2015, 760,000 created. Now, the reason why that number is, is significant is there are only 4.8 million businesses in the UK... And just over 23 million in, in the whole of the European Union. If you look at that figure, it's important because those businesses are what the hope of the future is built on. Now, our own business is not much older than five years um, itself. And we wanted to chart, if you like, the story of business in this very specific era. An era that has emerged out of recession but lived during it. An era that has become fueled by technology. And start to talk about what some of those lessons might be. It's a time in the world where actually something like the S&P 500, the register of the world's most successful companies, it estimates that 66% of its members in 10 years' time don't even exist yet. So think of that in terms of the world's largest companies. Think of that in terms of the opportunity to change, the opportunity of business to be that force for good that we want it to be. And the reason why it's more than just a nice-to-have is that 80% of the value of its current members is based on intangible assets. It's based on the things that you can't see, the things that you can't easily measure. In our parents' generation, the accountants would get out the slide rule and they would basically value a company on things like product and employees and the amount of real estate that you own. Today it's about brand and it's about identity and it's about reputation, and it's about consumer trust. So the idea about business being able to be free of moral values, free of moral obligations, we feel is over. And technology has empowered these companies, but it's also created new rules in the relationship, we think, between business and its consumers. If you don't believe the power of technology in changing those rules, look what's happening right now at Heathrow Airport. Look what's happening in terms of consumers being able to hold um, companies to account, because every time you're asked for your boarding card, that's actually about a tax that's going in the pocket of business rather than savings that's going into the pocket of yours. But look what's happening today. That started as a consumer revolt when people found out that kind of radical transparency will create change. Ministers today calling WHSmith and Boots to account. We think that actually technology fuels that because consumers are not prisoners. They're not, they don't have the same relationship with brands, either as employees, either as customers, in the way that they potentially had in the past. The Havast Meaningful Brands Index um, basically states that consumers couldn't care less if 74% of the world's brands drop dead tomorrow. That's not a great message if you're sitting in the boardroom of those 74% companies. That if you're sort of there saying, actually, what I really believe is that business should be a force for bad, um, you're probably living in that 74%. We wanted to learn the messages and the lessons from those businesses that weren't in that 74%. At the same time, by 2025, millennials are going to represent 75% of the world's workforce. And we know in an era where we're moving towards a skills trade, where it's actually harder to employ people, not easier, is that the values of employees matter in terms of the behaviours of companies. So in today's information rich and in attention poor world, um, a digital universe of data that's going to be increased by tenfold by 2020, companies need to connect with their customers. They need to connect with their stakeholders in exactly the same way that John Mackey was saying in that video. And that's why the pursuit of purpose is going to be an essential part of the path to profit. We don't argue in the book that purpose should sit aside, that that purpose should be the cost of doing business. We believe that the businesses that we met were better businesses because of the relationship between purpose, fueling profit, creating better businesses, creating better supply chains, creating better products and creating better outcomes. And this is the age of the activist business. The people that we met have got more in kind, we think, with politicians perhaps, than they had with business leaders 20, 30 years ago. They believe that they can change the world. I've got to say that when we started using words like you can change the world, we both blushed. I mean, it wasn't, it's not a very sort of British thing to say or British thing to do, but actually when we went, yeah, our first trip to Silicon Valley to interview businesses, and you're sat there, and actually you've got businesses that have got this urgency. They want to change the world. That is something that is really important to them. That's why they are in business. Quite often those businesses want to affect that change. Now, somebody like Jeff Bezos, not everybody's cup of tea. One of the things that he said was this, I strongly believe that missionaries make better products. They've only just started to turn a nominal profit because they reinvest in that business in terms of what it wants to do. If you've got a chance, go on, um, go on, the, uh, go on the internet, go, go on to relentless.com and you'll see the first website that he, um, he registered. Relentless.com takes you to Amazon. And... Um, what that was was it was an important statement to him about the sort of business that he wanted to create, the mission-based business. When he started that business, every PC um, had a bell uh, that used to ring every time an Amazon, project, uh, an Amazon product was shipped. Um, now it ships I think 304 products a second. So, of course, imagine that bell. It's obviously been dropped. But nevertheless, that kind of missionary zeal, that sense of purpose, is important in a commercial sense. In as, as it is in a social sense, entrepreneurs really do want to have impact. I mean, look at somebody like a London-based entrepreneur like Rohan Silver. Like Rohan Silver, he used to work in Downing Street. He's now got a second home. Really excellent initiative in terms of a shared working space. Um, Catherine Parsons, another great entrepreneur that we interviewed from Decoded. Sort of talking about businesses creating with purpose at the forefront of what they do. That actually, it's far easier if you hardwire goals and ideals into a business. That's why so often this sort of debate speaks so well to the starter, because you hardwire it into the business from day one. But also, I mean, a, a very titanic entrepreneur that we interviewed, um, Paul Lindley, the founder of Ella's Kitchen, he really stood for a lot of the things that we were talking about. In the book, And we've worked with Paul over a number of years, but here's the statement. He came to realise that business was the best way to try and create the societal change that he wanted. He wanted to address the fact that childhood obesity, that should be content, were issues that he really wanted to get to grips with. And he created a better business in Ella's Kitchen because of it. But also some of those bigger businesses, somebody like Dido Harding, who we spoke to, the CEO of TalkTalk, she talked about the campaigning made TalkTalk just a better place to work for everybody. And it makes us proud. It gives you something there. It's one of those kind of like golden assets, those Cinderella assets. Believe teams that believe tend to perform better. And Sarah Wood talks about. I think she captured some of that character here when she talks about really the sort of the startup mentality maintaining that urgency, maintaining that sense of mission, that sense of goal. So within the book, we identified what we observed as three emerging trends that were coming out of recession and coming out of technology. We call them the carers, the sharers, and the darers. These were where mission seemed to be at its most potent, at its most powerful, transformational and tribal areas of the economy. Now, the carers um, are very much the Whole fees and the elders. they're the people that want to nurture your soul, you often see it um, in food businesses, is that they want to do good things with the planet, good things with our resources. And just look at their strap lines, good in every sense, whole foods, whole people, whole planet. And you see their, their goals can often be here, Mackie talking about America is exporting its terrible food habits around the world. Well, it sees itself as the great antidote to that. It sees itself as actually doing good things with food. We talk to the shares, and if we've been given this lecture a couple of years ago, the idea that sharing economy would be so easily and well understood would be a a miracle. But here we are today, we understand that we can use another person's house to go on holiday, because we can book it through Airbnb, that we can use something like Blah Blah Cars and use somebody else's car, that actually these businesses have created a whole economy which is about sharing resources. And they have a very strong message about belonging. Um, Airbnb talks about belonging anywhere, share your journey, changing the world one gift at a time free cycle here quite often the sharers tended to be we observed some of the more accidental entrepreneurs some of those entrepreneurs that seem to have got out of bed one day in the case of Eddie but by the way he doesn't often dress like this Jay Gebbian but this is one of the very few royalty-free images that we could find of him um, but Jay Gebbian was um, effectively um, broke he, he wanted to make some money and he basically took the idea that um, he could take um, And that um, he and Brian Chesky and and, um, that they could create, um, if you like, a bit of money on the side. But from that soon grew that sense of purpose, that sense of ideal, that they could create this tribal community of people that could share their resources. And when you speak to somebody like J.G.B., he's got this real feeling of tribe. It's it's a phenomenal thing to speak about. And nobody's saying that these guys are saints. Nobody's saying that there aren't issues with their business models or that there aren't issues... Um, that we probably will talk about in terms of um, some of the sort of charges are put against them. But I think the optimism that they have, the activism that they have, makes them exceptional in what they do. And, of course, here you have the darers, the technologists, the people that just want to change everything, that are upset and aggravated and annoyed with the world, the, de- the Ubers, the unrulies. Um, you know, Panton, really good example. Food, we think, is a really interesting sector. This is a business. Its message is this. Junk food is bad for you, but maybe technology could make it healthy. That actually maybe they could take things that we really like and we know are bad for us and they could make it good. Um, Uber, transport for all, as reliable as running water. Now, Uber is probably one of the more controversial businesses that we cover in the book. And it's not surprising, you know, if you listen to somebody like Travis Kalanick, he talks about we're running a political campaign and the, cam- and the candidate is Uber. He sees himself in this kind of role of taking on old orders. Now, I realise that for the representatives of the cab industry, this will not be the most powerful and most persuasive of messages, but he does see himself as what the future looks like. He sees himself as being in the business of good. Of course, many, many people don't. And of course, a lot of those um, imperatives become quite specific, taking a million cars off the road in London, for example, being a specific objective of Uber. So we observe the new character um, what's coming out of those businesses that we, that we met. Drive, a refusal to give in. Self-improvement, these businesses tend to learn about the environment that they're seeking to work in, and grow in. Communication, there's something about their ability to get a message across in a way that we just respond to, a way that we intrinsically like. Disruption, they go against the grain. Many of those businesses, they start off with being told it's impossible, you cannot change things. Persuasion, they have the ability to make their case in the market connection they build networks they build amazing um tribes of people that follow them and they have this never say die optimism that drives that business forward where you know society might say you have failed not on their own terms that optimism drives those businesses through and that's what's behind um, that formula in terms of what creates the mission-based business so to finish off just a couple of things before we move on to the q a um Marjorie Scardino, um, many will know she was, she was the chief executive of, of Pearson it's one of the businesses that we, that we look at um, in the book in terms of well, what happens when you're a really big business, now when she took on Pearson, Pearson was one of those classic, I would suggest dreadful British businesses that just had a bit of everything, to the extent that it even had an avocado farm in its, uh, in its sort of um, its set of businesses, it really did um, now of course it's very hard to have mission when you have that set of businesses. But when you actually sort of take a view that simplicity really matters, that's what cuts through, and you start to think about becoming the world's learning company, of course, things change. Now, of course, in many respects, you could argue that she never really took her own medicine. She famously said that she would sell the Financial Times over her dead body. But of course, ultimately, they didn't need her body Sometime later, because Pearson did exactly that. And I think it's... The, the goal that it sought to achieve in terms of the, the changes she made to become that world leading company, have been largely satisfied by that sense of focus. Wilfred Emanuel is a black farmer, a great entrepreneur, um, he talks about this, is that every great change has come from challenging the status quo. So many of those businesses are aggravated by the rules that society has set for itself and the way that business must be done. They want to create new rules, they want to do different things. Um, Seth Godin, um, an excellent marketeer, he said that ideas are like viruses, they need sneezers to spread the message. Well actually if you think about it, that kind of sense of, of mission is the idea, that's the virus. The sneezers is very much the campaign getting out there. He also said this, he said that tastes like chicken isn't a compliment. Well think about that. You think about that when you are a corporation that wants to offend no one and is not prepared to put an opinion out into the marketplace. A lot of those businesses have never been short sure of opinion. Mark McCormack, who was the inspiration behind Jerry Maguire, um, he was a, he he he, ran, he founded IMG, um, and, and everybody will remember um, Jerry Maguire, I'm sure. Show me the money. Um, well, he said this: he said that all things being equal, people will buy from a friend. All things not being quite so equal, people will still buy from a friend. I think that viewpoint is something that united all of the businesses that we spoke to, is that a lot of them have become successful because they have built a lot of friends in their marketplace as customers, as stakeholders, as shareholders. So that's really what mission is all about. Um, I'd, like to feel, I'd like to finish um, with an appeal of why you should um, consider purchasing the book. Um, so I'm going to end on the, uh, on the words of PJ O'Rourke, who wrote Don't Vote, it so just encourages the bastards. Um, he, um, he said this, he said... Um, Always read something that will make you look good if you die in the middle of it. And I can guarantee you, you'll look great if you're reading Mission. Thank you very much.